In the heart of these animated wonders, there are tales and symbols older and darker than the castle's highest tower. Welcome to Occult Disney. Journey with Paranoid American and Matthew Comagies as they traverse the intricate pathways of alchemy, the shadowed corners of biblical narratives, and the very folklore that birthed these tales. Beneath every brushstroke lie whispers of writers' taboos, the cloak-and-dagger politics of hallowed studios, and secrets held close. Every magic has its price, every kingdom its shadows. Are you prepared to peer beyond the veil? Welcome to the Occult Disney Podcast. Here we are. It's Occult Disney. I feel like I have to say something else because the, the new theme music says welcome. So I'm just like, here we are. It's Matt here. It's a paranoid American there. What's up? What's up? Uh, today's movie. We're right smack in the middle of the, the Disney Renaissance. Uh, maybe peak hubris, possibly, with the movie Aladdin. Um, this is one I've seen quite a bit, as opposed to Last One, Beauty and the Beast, where that was my first viewing. Uh, Aladdin was, I guess, on the regs for me in the 90s. You know, clamshell video, all that sort of stuff. Uh, what, what's your Aladdin history? Well, hold on. You said peak hubris. I just want to know, can you elaborate on why this movie is peak hubris? Because <clears throat> it made them all the money in the world. And, and Jeffrey Katzenberg, This, I mean, this is when Katzenberg is still kind of like in the driver's seat of these. And um, after Lion King, you see he's going to get, you know, kind of uh, bitch slapped, so to speak, and uh, end up at DreamWorks. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I must, I guess I'm also thinking about the theme parks. I mean, you know, early 90s for the theme parks, too, is like the time in the sun for for disney they're opening all these giant rides as opposed to the early 2000s where the best they have is that you know california adventure and that terrible aladdin ride at disney world so uh, so uh, we're gonna get into that and don't you start <laughs> talking about about disney quest oh not disney quest the um I'm, no, oh no that one's fun i got a headache from that no i'm talking about the one where okay. they put it in adventure land which is like dumbo with flying carpets but it doesn't fit oh yeah no no that one sucks yeah we all hate that Everybody right yeah 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 no no I'm, I'm i'm on page disney quest that was that was great <laughs> all right we'll get we'll get into that we'll get into that yeah so so you asked like what i thought and this is this is a weird one for me because i i guess you're talking about how like the 90s was also golden era for some of the theme parks it's really hard for me to determine what i actually like and what's just been programmed into me to like so, like, there's an example um, in this movie in particular when they do the whole New World song. I can't legitimately tell if that song has merit and it's, like, a really good, amazing song or if I've just heard it so many times as a kid when I was, like, pumped up on soda and just, like, loving life. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't have a job or homework <laughs> and I'm just hearing this song. Maybe, like, that me tapping into the song makes me like it more in this, you know, NLP anchoring way. So, I don't I don't know. It's So, long story way of saying that, like, I love this movie. I wasn't expecting to love it as much. I even liked all the songs, and I hate musicals. So, I was the whole time wondering, like, God, am I just tapping into some, like, programming, you know, module that I haven't tapped into since the 90s? I was, I guess I was a little older, and I, I was, you know, what 14 or something schmaltzed away by a whole new world i do like most of the other songs i do like that one but i i had that one deprogrammed from me about 15 years ago uh in japan at karaoke uh the school i worked at we had adult students and, and we were all together and, and this one kind of geeky salary man wanted to duet a whole new world he was already kind of drunk and and every woman in the karaoke box was like no so he ends up duetting with another geeky salary man and they're like singing it to each other as hard as they can while really drunk and i'm like well that's the definitive version of the song now <laughs> yeah there's like they're, they're singing so hard that you're trying to get curry breath in the room you know it's uh <laughs> so that's, that it sounds like a real thing by the way yeah oh, what curry breath yeah that's a real thing you get curry no, that, like two guys could be going at it so hard in a karaoke that like everybody smells their breath yeah yeah that, that's what was happening so now whenever i hear a whole new world my my brain flashbacks to that karaoke box which i don't you know smell if... curry when, when you hear it now a little bit <laughs> <laughs> pizza uh, maybe, curry I mean, pizza it's got some cheese all, all jokes aside here man maybe there's something to that song in particular that like opens you up to programming 
uh, to tap into. Like, I mean, like, like the specific, maybe the specific sequence of notes, like the music theory behind it. Maybe there's like something that they tapped into with that particular song. And again, I don't know if this is just like nostalgia, but like, like there's nothing else about the song that I like. I don't like any other music that sounds quite like that. Uh, actually, there there was one that I had to I had to look up. So shout out to a very dated sounding song here, but <laughs> Aladdin Arabian Nights dubstep mix oh, by right. someone named Bloke, I guess. But if you go on on YouTube and search for Aladdin Arabian Nights dubstep Bloke, uh, it's like one of the, the like it is the definitive version of the Arabian Nights song in my opinion. Although um, maybe you've heard the recent thing speaking about weird musical programming. H- have you heard about the um, the Taylor Swift concert phenomenon? Where people pass out or they black out and can't remember the, like, yeah, like the last they days. Can't remember it at all. I feel like maybe that's what me and Aladdin, because I was like, when did I first see this? I probably saw it in the theater, but I don't have a memory of doing that. Did I see it on video first? I have like no memory of first seeing this whatsoever. <laughs> I got an even deeper one for you without getting on too much of a tangent. <laughs> Go for but it. Let's like think about your oldest memory. You okay. Know, or whatever one that is the clearest, right? Yeah. You know, you don't have to tell me what it is. Um, now that memory, are you sure that what you're remembering is the real event that originally happened, or are you just remembering the <clears throat> last time you remembered it? Oh, that's a good point. Uh, my first memory, I'll describe it. It's not anything particularly weird, but um, I'm not even sure it's real. It might be from a dream. I just remember being in a, like my parents taking me to like some townhouse or something to visit someone and being in a um, kind of large, not, well, not large, but you know, double story room with like a spiral staircase i'm like is that real because <laughs> that itself seems to have like interesting imagery you know but like even when you think about it it's like um i oh i just guess i'm always assuming that at a certain point you've kind of the- through the you know theseus ship you've kind of like replaced all the elements over time like the first time you thought back to it it was really crisp and clear but every other time you think back to it you're just thinking back to the last time you thought about it and you're never ever actually tapping into the original memory. That might not be how it works. You know what I mean? Maybe you're actually hitting the same neuron. It's showing you the same <clears throat> image and it changes, but it's almost like a game of telephone you play with yourself. See, interesting. I feel like the karaoke box memory I just described to you is more like that, where what I'm remembering is probably completely different. I mean, what, you know, the basic events I told you, but the imagery and stuff is probably completely fabricated at this point. The, the, the spiral staircase, I feel like, is pretty consistent when I think about Are there it. people but... in cloaks by any chance? What, with spiral staircase? No, unfortunately. Yeah. There was, like, 70s fake plants or something, I think. So, you know, it's like 70s, you know, uh, 70s design at, at its best, that sort of thing. But, uh, again, it's I, coming I'm back. not even sure if that's a real... Uh, maybe I just added the plants, so who knows? <laughs> just thinking about that sort of thing. Do you remember uh, first seeing this one? Uh, like I said, I'm having like kind of Taylor Swift. No, I'm similar one. to you where I know I've seen it a million times because I've heard it. And this was another song too. That they pumped in Disney parks. So when I was there at like outside of the studio, like I was hearing this thing probably every single day. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I can't think of, I mean, I was born in 83. So I, the, I would have been like 10 years old, I guess when this came out, uh, maybe 11 or something. So I guess I was right at the very tail end of caring about this movie, but it was still something that clearly would be on if like my friend's little sister was around or something. You know what I mean? Like this was the movie, like you said, this kind of put him back on the map. Although uh, I really do think, and man, they even had a decent like Genesis game. I know it was really hard and I know a lot of people complain about all of the Disney (laughs) video games, but the Aladdin game in particular was kind of fire. It was like really hard, but it was, uh, like I remember the graphics at the time being amazing. Like we were all amazed that it, it was like, this looks like a real car. I mean, it doesn't now in retrospect, but at the time it looked like a real freaking Disney cartoon that you got to play. Well, they had the benefit of the uh, PC uh, Prince of Persia is kind of a template. I think if, if you ever saw that one, that was always the uh, demo game at electronic stores and stuff in the early nineties. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Although th- that one's got an interesting story too, where the guy, <laughs> Uh, actually rotoscoped himself doing all of those moves like the jumps and like the using the sword and falling and dying in the pits that was all the developer and he like scanned himself in and then like you know pixeled himself out but it was an interesting tidbit it was like before Mortal Kombat even right but that was like one of the first 
examples of a fully rotoscoped, realistic-looking video game character, Prince of Persia. Yeah. So I'm, I'm he's not, comes up a trivia night. You're welcome. All right. I'm not not necessarily saying that they the, the Aladdin Genesis game was ripping that all. Probably inspired by, it, but there is the. Uh, I guess there's a little more of a controversy with this movie, and, and I'm racking my brain for the uh, the guy's name. Um, Maybe you can help me out. The guy that was animating an Aladdin-type film for years. I think he directed The Great Mouse Detective. And, uh... Sorry. No, this is new to me. Okay, hold on. I gotta find his name with a little search here. I'm be the man in the chair for a minute. And there's also an original opening to this movie and a censored version. And I'm almost positive that I saw the censored version because I remember the the original song being way more offensive when I went back and watched it like years ago. And the one that I saw recently didn't have any of that. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm just like, like more calloused as a person now and nothing offended me or, or I saw the edited version. Yeah, there was definitely a, another version. I, I'm wondering if you saw that as a cutscene somewhere. Cause I feel like that didn't make it to actual maybe production. Never made it out of the theatrical release. Right, right, or or even if it you know didn't quite make it to that, Gatsburg. Um, oh, I should. Okay, yeah. So, um, so this is according to L.A. Times, but the Disney altered two lines of the lyrics that were reported as racist. So, oh. did you find your name? I I did not, unfortunately. So maybe I'll uh, I'll just get back to you at whatever point I do find it. <laughs> so it's uh, I, this is the original lyrics. I come from a land from a faraway place where the caravan camels roam, where they'll cut off your ear if they don't like your face. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. So that eh, was uh, a little funky, isn't it? And they and the, here's where they changed it to. I come from a land from a faraway place where the caravan camels roam. Where it's flat and immense, and the heat is intense, it's barbaric, but hey, it's home. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, I know Eisner in particular was like definitely on the fence about wanting to <clears throat> do a Middle Eastern film, which I guess in the early '90s sounds a little weird. I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> also, the original story took place in China. It didn't even take place in the Middle East. I think that they just did that because it's relation to um, the, you know, Arabian Tales, Arabian Nights. It was just more easily recognizable if you said Arabian Nights and they made this take place in, you know, Arabia, essentially, that there wouldn't be any confusion. Yeah, it can be a little confusing. I I don't have the name, but um, there was a movie in production for like, 30 years and came out a little bit after Aladdin, but had been in various states of production forever, which was, uh, you, you've probably heard of the, the thief, the thief and the cobbler. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And he had worked for Disney and I, I, I still haven't like actually got a spotted his name as I'm, you know, kind of half talking, half looking, but <laughs> yeah, it was started, you know, this is a British anime, I believe who started working on this in, in the sixties and, had done some work with Disney, so well, sounds he, like Richard Williams. There we or, go. Yes, or, yes, yes. His name's all over this thing. Yeah, that's that's got to be it. And that you know that was his baby, and and I don't think he ever like tried to like sue Disney or anything. I think he might have just sad sacked it and and finished his movie kind of slapdashed or, or had it taken away from him at the end. It did come out, but it actually the final product kind of looks like a, a an Aladdin ripoff, ironically. So. <laughs> Yeah, and man, I mean, just just reading over like the general stats and info for this, it sounds like one of those projects that was kind of a little bit doomed, unless it was like a very polarizing project. It was either going to be amazing and smash everything, or be you know a little bit less than that, because it's got directed by, written by, produced by, production company featuring. Um, it was all Richard Williams. So this was like a hundred percent his baby. And it also has a note here in the wiki article that says the thief and cobbler is one of the films with the longest production times in history. Right. So um, it was kind of and a tortoise it was the, and the hair thing, I guess, you know, <laughs> and it was the final film for so many people because I guess they probably worked on it when they were already old, you know, early on in production <laughs> 
and then the movie just like kept going on for another 30 years and a lot of those people died but it ended up being the last thing that they were in it was Errol Lacane, Ken Harris, Emery Hawkins um and it even list Vincent Price so this was the last movie that Vincent Price was technically in right right but when did he do it yeah because Edward Scissorhands is 91 I guess so yeah I I but I haven't seen yep. this, but speaking of other guys that wanted to write, direct, and produce, I, I was looking at something not long ago where Orson Welles' final film technically came out in like 2016 or 2017, which is, is kind of mind-blowing and had the same thing where it now is like the last appearance of many different people who have been you know dead since the 70s. So That could be a new gimmick, right? You, just, you start a movie early on, get a bunch of people, a bunch of actors that are like about to retire and then don't release it for... 30 years i guess that uh, it might go away now right because hollywood just scans your likeness and now they own your ai persona indefinitely yeah it's about to say what you're describing is better than the uh, ai debacle i guess it is right yeah they just you're just gonna see harrelson ford in movies for the rest of your life no matter what yeah i i know they just uh ended that that strike but i don't really i don't know what the final ai um compromise was so <laughs> the compromise is that china's not going to put any limits on what they do with ai and actors so <laughs> all we can do is say we're either going to like take a few rounds out or we're going to keep going and be at the forefront that's really the only options it's not like everyone's going to look around and be like hey guys the american industry has decided to hit pause let's let's all hit pause you know like we mm-hmm. don't we want this to be an evil like a level playing field so in a creative production though does it does it matter you know, kind of the quantity over quantity thing. If you're if you're just going, you know, full bore with AI stuff, you can just make content, make content never stop. But it's you know probably, yeah. at least at this point, it's not the best stuff. Um. <laughs> at this point, but let's talk again in a year, in exactly. another year from that. It's yeah, I think it's going to get wild, man. I think that there might be a certain point soon when you can just say my favorite movies are Aladdin and robin hood mix them together and show it to me mm-hmm. and here's my favorite voice actors from all the Disney. you know like have them be the voices for whatever characters you come up with okay go. and it you. might it might say you know come back tomorrow and, and this will be done or something and it'll all just be automated like i don't know if we're quite at real time i've seen some cool real-time stuff but uh maybe in a year maybe in a year or two like you'll just have netflix ai version where you just hit play you don't even pick a channel right and you just kind of like, what are those old school where you would like sit down in front of uh, like a TV show and they give you like a little box, right? The I can't remember the guy's name. And you would like twist the dial. Like when you were happy, you'd twist it to the right. And when you were getting bored or offended, you'd twist it to the left. And they would real time figure out like the key moments in a certain show when people were like twisting that dial up and down. Uh, but I mean, it's, it was just giving a real time feedback. So now with the technology we've got, it could probably figure out from your facial expression, from your web camera, like, oh, you're, I'm losing your interest. Here, let me flash this in front of you. You know, here's a they live scene for me, right? Here's a they live fight scene. All of a sudden, I've, you've got my attention again, right? 10 minutes of punching. Do that. <laughs> yeah, just lots of punching. Just 15 minutes of punching. I mean, that that would get my attention, actually. I like how in that movie, though, they, they, they also get tired, like, in the middle and take, like, a 30-second break and then get back to the punching. That's fantastic. All about a pair of sunglasses, which, I, mean, I guess, you and I understand. But... Put them on! <laughs> Just put them on! <laughs> hey, and, and by the way, in case that sounds like a complete tangent that we were talking about They Live in an Aladdin show, there is a direct connection back here because they cite one of the best quotes of all time that is in They Live, and I... Oh man, it's in a few other movies that I've seen recently. I think the movie Society, which is a really crazy movie by the guy that did a reanimator. Anyways, the quote is, um, everybody remember the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. And I've noticed like synchronicity wise, that specific quote comes up in a lot of weird and strange movies and Aladdin. Okay. Yeah. I was sitting here thinking, I'm pretty sure that he didn't say anything about chewing bubblegum and kicking ass and, and Aladdin. So, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of gold. Again, Net- sure. Netflix AI edition, right? <laughs> Show me they live in Aladdin. Go. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think that would be cool. I know that, you know, some people aren't as excited. I wouldn't say excitement, but I just think that's, 
it's happening anyways. You might as well enjoy the the final days. Yeah, I know six months ago, there was that thing where people were making all the fake commercials. And within three, I noticed that all of them ended with people melting and exploding. And then the world ends. That's like how all of them ended, which I'm like, well, it's six months later. I imagine we're getting something different by now. <laughs> but maybe we're already dead. Yeah, yeah, maybe we're all in a hollow deck already. We are all well. That that that's basically Gnostic theory, isn't it? <laughs> Philosophy, I should say. Uh. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna want to make a note to actually watch the um, the Thief and the Cobbler because it sounds like that's got a lot of occult references within it. But we'll we'll add that to the the end of the list. We've got so many more to go through. Yeah, and and that one just has the problem where it sputtered at the end. Like apparently there's like 15 minutes of amazing footage and then the rest of it, they kind of had to throw together. <laughs> so uh, you unfortunately get a bit of a, a mixed bag on that one. Uh, Beauty and the Beast. I was talking about how Belle was a relatively empowered lady stuck in a bad situation where it seems we've taken a bit of a step back with Jasmine though, which could be because we have different directors. Was Belle empowered though? Because well, she was at least sharper. Let's say that. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, man. I mean, I think that she's just as dumb and perhaps less empowered because this Jasmine can escape from her castle and go out as, you know, a normie and then go back to her castle at night where she's safe and rich again. And that feels way more powerful than, you know, you're going to go and live with this beast that you're (laughs) forced to be here and you're not allowed to leave. Like her agency is literally removed from her. And the only way that she can get out of her situation is by being really nice to, you know, this this old grumpy man in reality. Yeah, I, I guess I was feeling more of a reversion plot where now it's like, you have to get married tomorrow, you know. <laughs> that and well, there's, there's also this one, just like Beauty and the Beast, is a really good example of the golden bow and the, the old, you know, matriarchy where you marry the princess in order to take over the kingdom. Um, so that, cause in, in a lot of other, like in Cinderella, for example, it's like, she's seeking after this prince to, you know, marry into wealth and to rise her up from this, this lower class status that she's got. And then this one, it's the, the truer version of that, the inversion where you've got Aladdin, who's a thief. He's a literal, you know, he's a, a criminal essentially in this society. And he changes and transforms himself into a completely different person in order to win over the princess and then even though in the movie it's all about you know they love each other and it's true love and he just happens to be a really poor con man mm-hmm. but this is real love i mean this is definitely true love and it just happens to be that she's the princess and that everything here comes with power so and you even see that when he initially gets turned into the prince he immediately goes to his head right like he's already trying to like call shots and doesn't want to tell her that he's a prince and because like he, he wants to portray this lifestyle that he sees himself in. So I don't know. I, I feel like that aspect of it, I don't know. That's it's like the, the biggest dynamic of it and how it kind of like plays into the golden bow theory and like fits into the puzzle perfectly. It's like Jafar is living his truth more, you know, he knows what he wants. He, he almost gets it. Aladdin well, dumps no, in backwards into it, you know? <laughs> so J- Jafar, you're absolutely right. Jafar understands the golden bow. I, I almost think like Aladdin's like the fool in the tarot, right? Like he's like bumbling into this world, but he also like, he's the criminal. He's the con man. Jafar's also a criminal and a con man, but he's, he's doing the revelation of the method. He's almost like telling you up front, that he's being bad and you also realize as the viewer like oh he's bad because he's letting you know overtly he's also going to kill the king like not only is he going to marry jasmine and inherit the kingdom but he's going to kill the king to make this happen but that is the actual real <laughs> matriarchal story is that you didn't just marry the princess and then sit around as a lame duck waiting for her dad to croak like that was part of it you would win her hand and you would kill her dad so that you become the new dad. And it, this is like the King Kill ritual we've brought up a few times. Like, this is that thing, right? Because you don't want to let dad get old and wither away because that means the kingdom that you're about to inherit is also old and withering. So you kind of need it like vibrant. You need to make a big scene. And let's put it out there Jafar is not a liar, Aladdin is. 
That is true. <laughs> well, maybe. Yeah, he's deceitful. Uh, he's got his hypnosis and stuff. I, I, yeah. I, I, I was man, pushing it with a broad brush there, but I just, yeah. That's but an interesting thought, though. He's more is, upfront about is, what he wants to do. Is hypnotizing somebody a lie? Or a method. I don't know. Not revealing but it's not, method in that case. I mean, it, is it even deception? Is hypnotizing somebody deception? I'm just trying to be wacky. Nobody likes Jafar. I was just uh, <laughs> this going for that thing where he decided Mary Poppins is evil. Oh, no, Jafar is a real hero. No, no, that, that, I'm not really going to take on that, but I thought I'd play that. I'd play that bit for a minute <laughs> and see what happens. You're not that hill, yeah. the Jafar hill. No, I'm not really going to go down the Jafar hill, but... Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess we should think a little bit about the the Robin Williams Hill. Uh, that would have been my hook in 1993. To, I, I, as I said, I think I saw it in the theater. But um, yeah, you know, that's when people wanted to see movies that Robin Williams was in. And you know, although I didn't see Miss Doubtfire, weirdly enough, but <laughs> ever, uh, I think I saw it once on video, like at a spring break or something. But it's not one. Not that's, a bad movie. It's not, not a bad one, movie. Yeah, it's not one that's in my consciousness. Um, but yeah, I, you know, when I was a very little kid, Mork and Mindy was on TV, so I like that. I like Robin Williams then, and he's in movies, I like him then. I only recently started listening to his comedy. I'd been listening to the same 10 comedy albums in the car, so I finally put some new ones on my phone, including a, a couple of his. So, um, Man, there was a, an old stand-up that I remember seeing on TV when I was a little kid in like the, the very early 90s, maybe late 80s, and it was Robin Williams, and he's got these rainbow suspenders on and he's bouncing off the walls dripping with sweat and there's even someone in the audience that's like heckling him by laughing really annoying and he heckles them back at one point i i wish i could remember the exact uh whatever this video special was that he did but man it is it was wild like he was he did all the cocaine that night like the yeah. whole world probably <laughs> yes um yeah the the ones i had in the car was night of the met which i think was right after he stopped doing cocaine and and then his last one which was um weapons of mass dysfunction or something i don't so, and i think i got the name a little bit wrong there but uh that was surprisingly funny yeah so i know i was bummed out when he um went out in whatever method that entailed <laughs> um the the official line at this point is he had some he didn't have Parkinson's but he had something related to Parkinson's which apparently does make you like get demented and suicidal so who knows but at the same time that that I, yeah I, I certainly did he know too much he I, was but, he was friends with Patch Adams and Patch Adams was in the Finders <laughs> or adjacent to the Finders just throwing that out there no that, I, that's I, not I, according I, to me that's according to I think Ken Thomas from Steam Shovel Press it's in his book called Paranoia something or other. Anyways. It's like in Robin Williams. Case, here's the thing. I probably like, I would probably say, yes, he had this disease, got a little weird in the head and probably did it. But I want to believe that was a conspiracy because I like him. I want to think that, no, no, the bad guys took him out. And we should all. What is Robin Williams, <laughs> but we're getting weird in the head. What version of Robin <laughs> Williams is that one? <laughs> um, there was a, maybe it was a, under, Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job, where they had like a, yes, it was that show. They have an episode where they, they rent a Robin Williams. Like it's, they just have some guy come to their office that's doing a Robin Williams impression, doing impressions of everyone else. And it's a uh, very meta and entertaining, but uh, I guess the genie is one of his iconic roles now. Uh, you know, definitely one of the first iconic roles for an animated character, I would say. Uh, can you think of anyone before this where it was like, yes, this actor and this animated character are just completely interlinked um not on the spot no so i mean this this would be one of the biggest ones and one of the biggest stars to do an animated film at this point also yeah, this would I have mean, been a draw like having robin williams name on this would have been a draw at this point for sure again for 14 year old matt that that was part of the draw um i guess i should mention that the design for him and jafar is also based on uh, al hirschfeld designs which is kind of cool who did what saturday saturday evening post i believe i can actually look at that yeah, just okay. Just, no, he just did celebrity and Broadway stars, but I like that style. So you know, kind of a Art Deco ish style. Uh, that that and is. and on the the tail of that question too, like what other animated sort of character has this much personality like length? Like what other Disney sidekick would you want more than a Pooh? Well, I want the monkey version. I don't want the elephant version. Well, yeah, yeah, we're talking about the monkey version of a Pooh, but I just remember. When this this movie came out, a poo like all all of a sudden shot to the top of my 
like celebrity pet list. And I guess like um, there, there was, I mean, there's only a few of them on there, but Apu was definitely at the top of those. I think the other one would have been Gizmo from Gremlins. I think he was. Oh, yeah. I had a stuffed Gizmo. I mean, I was, I was a weird kid. I had like a netting of like stuffed animals, like through a surprisingly late in my childhood. But yeah, there's a yeah, Gizmo if you could, in there. If you could actually Figment. pick one that was real, which one would it be? Would it be Gizmo? Oh, for my for my own sidekick, like my new pet. Yeah, um, and not not for like as an ad like an advantage. Like we're talking, you know, I don't know, ten year old Matt. Like what what sidekick does ten year old Matt want to come to life? Um. Hmm. See, now I'm like, oh, I Stitch, but Stitch wasn't around yet, so it, the ten year old Matt wouldn't like Stitch. Mm-hmm. Um. I think I want the X Men to be real. <laughs> I don't know if you can have Wolverine as a pet, though. I don't know if that, that makes the same amount of sense. I think I said before, when I was a kid, I just assumed, you know, someday, like, I'd just shoot, start shooting laser beams out of my eyes, you know? I guess that's better than worrying about puberty. You worry about the laser beams that are going to shoot out of your We're eyes. We're almost there. Yeah. <laughs> you have to pay big for that one, though. But, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of modern um, films, uh, one, one of the best... Um, I think it's a movie epic where they got Steven Tyler to, to voice a character. And I wish I could remember that guy's name, but it's like, it doesn't matter. Steven Tyler's doing the voice because his speaking voice like doesn't matter. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It's like, he's you, so you want to hear him say, yeah, he should have done Flintstones and just said, yabba dabba do the whole time. It would have been great. Yeah. I, I think, I think it was Nim Galoob maybe was the, the name of his character. If I, if I remember mm. correctly, um, it's a very bizarre name. So I, Oh, it's hard to search that because the movie title is so uh, generic, but Aladdin you can find. Um, I'm also looking for who... So Robin Williams, he he agreed to do this. He said, you can't use my voice in advertising, which I guess you couldn't get away with that now. Um, and he didn't come back for the direct-to-video sequel, but he came right. back for the third one. I guess they drove like a dumb truck of money to his house or something, or... We're blackmailed him. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Like do this or else it's going to look like you off yourself. Yeah. And then I they came like back to him with Aladdin four and he was like, I'm not doing it. And they were like, all right. <laughs> who, who does it in the, let's see. Gilbert Godfrey's still there. Oh, it's, it's actually, actually it's just some guy. Okay. It's not anyone notable in the sequel. That's too bad. And I had completely forgot that Gilbert Godfrey was in this as the parrot. That was a nice surprise. Just hearing his voice out of nowhere. Yeah. He, I think I would give he's the most fun villain sidekick, though they should not have added him to the Tiki Room uh, as they did for a while. <laughs> Maybe I kind of like the the Gia Monster from uh, Rescuers Down Under as the sidekick. I can't remember the the thing's name. Mm. See, I, I, I we we watched it last. It month. was like a girl's name. It was like Clarissa or something. Yeah. It wasn't that, but it was something. I guess it doesn't stick in the brain for me quite as much. I mean, Iago, you remember that name, right? Uh, Shakespeare and all, uh, and Gilbert Godfrey screaming at you. You remember that? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, the 90s with Abu and, and you know, Lion King, we get to some nice sidekicks. Uh, Disney was owning the sidekick game in the 90s. We definitely have to give them that. Yeah, yeah, fair point. <laughs> and um, the Happy Meal game, too. They were killing it with the Happy Meal toys. I re- like almost every Happy Meal toy I remember was some kind of Disney IP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know we don't have a ton of time today, and we definitely have some things underground like uh, Caves of Gold. So uh, if we want to crack into some of your notes there. Yeah, so I'm going to just do some rapid fire so we can kind of go back and just casually discuss some of it as it comes up naturally. The, The golden bow piece of this is the biggest one. Like a cult Disney podcast, the absolute biggest symbolism that you can derive from this is 100% golden bow. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, the golden bough represented this branch of a tree and that a faraway, you know, traveler that would typically be from a lower class of society, a prince in his own right, but he would convert himself into this foreigner and infiltrate another kingdom and win the daughter's hand and kill the father and killing that father is basically getting that golden bough off the tree. So that is by far and away, this is Aladdin movie is such a great sort of fit into that because he's got the whole, you know, criminal con man aspect. And so anyways, that is the biggest takeaway. And then there's some other like really cool things. So for example, we oh, were sorry, just to interrupt the, really quick. Um, 
for listeners, yeah, the last two episodes we talked about that. Next one's The Lion King. We're going to be talking about it again. So it's definitely the Disney Renaissance seems to be golden bowel time. So yeah, sorry. <laughs> and and it's just it's the formula. This is like you know when every pop song follows the same three or four chords and the same chord progression. Like this is the formula that just happens to work. So um, and and first of all, we were talking about how the original intro lyrics were changed because people found it offensive. But even in the the post censored version that I saw. And the dialogue of the movie outside of the song, they still talk about rip him open. Um, I had to slit a few throats, but I got it. Um, there's like a, there's a whole bunch of references to like someone's gonna die. Like you're being threatened with death right now. Oh, and and they're gonna chop uh, Jasmine's hand off when she gets caught stealing an apple. And it's like you know what we do with thieves around here. So I don't know. It, it's weird that singing about chopping somebody's ear off. Uh, is you know the bad thing, but you can say it like three different ways in dialogue. Maybe it, they just didn't want people singing that particular earworm. I guess I can kind of understand it, right? But it's like it it kind of goes to prove that these Disney earworms are far more powerful than just the the dialogue, right? Poetry is stronger than prose when it comes to occult Disney. When you're talking about the sequence that. of notes, um, I was just playing them in my head. I was kind of thinking the basic. A motif of a whole new world is a little bit like the the alien contact notes from uh, Close Encounters. There's a I mean, weird similarity just talking about how it might program or something. I, that's what I was saying, man. I think that there might be, and not necessarily that somebody sat down and said, I know that this chord progression and these notes at this cadence is going to tap into something deeper where people go into almost a trance-like state. But here we are, and I feel like that that's what they got. So you hear a whole new world. If you, may, And maybe it's only if you also grew up in the 90s and also had it pumped into your head while you were walking around Kmart or wherever it might have been and on TV commercials. But I'm telling you that it's like a Game Genie cheat code to like slip in some extra lives or something. Maybe the next iteration of MK Ultra Assassins are going to hear Disney jingles and you know, turn into Manchurian candidates. I, you know, I teach kids and, and the thing that's interesting is the little merm Ariel and, and Jasmine are still what most of the little girls have on their drink bottles and t-shirts. Not so much bell, even frozen is kind of tapered off a little bit, but Jasmine and Ariel just keep showing up even with, you know, the four year olds. I'm just going to say bell's creepy from any vantage point. You look at it from <laughs> like, even even if you sort of resolve the fact that it is, you know, bestiality, right? After you even get over that aspect That's of what it, they it called is the movie. so creepy. <laughs> Beauty and the bestiality. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that would have been a, a t-shirt a in the crowd. waiting. Yeah. That Maybe that's, that crowd. should be the first occult Disney t-shirt. Just yeah, Beauty sure. and the bestiality. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I guess that means it's a good idea. <laughs> so so a, c- a couple other notes here. Um, Apu is his literal like animal consciousness. That This is um, Aladdin's consciousness as its animal spirit before it has the human spirit attached to it. It comes out in a few different ways. For example, when they go into that underground you know, cave and they find the treasure, Apu goes right for the gold, but... Aladdin has to stop him and it's like no we're not here for that we, we have to keep going um, he's also the one that doesn't want to give up his food to the kids in the beginning uh, and there's a few other instances throughout this movie where it just they're they're clearly showing that Apu does the things that Aladdin wants to do but has that human consciousness that prevent him from just acting as a pure animal um, Jafar doesn't have that Jafar has the opposite if anything his parrot Gilbert Gottfried, you know, has more resolve and, and kind of has more, I guess, like morality or guilt or whatever you want to call that than Jafar does. Whereas Aladdin and Apu, they go hand in hand as like this yin and yang. Yeah, I feel like that the, or the non-human characters in this kind of get the shaft. I mean, the genie is under thousands of years of um, astral bondage. Um, you know what he did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Apu gets turned into a elephant against you know any consideration to what a poo wants uh iago while being annoying like you said is a little bit more moral but he gets stuck in with jafar and the lamp in the end so 
you know, <laughs> he, he balances Jafar out. Like if it weren't for his parrot, Jafar would just be total evil with nothing at all to restrain him. And, and it's not that like the parrot tells him what to do, but just its mere presence is the only thing that, that maybe balances out a little bit. And, and also just to, to hone on the, the whole golden bow thing again, uh, a lot or, um, Jasmine's dad, I can't remember his, his name, but he is shown as so effeminate. Like he's basically, uh, just like a big marshmallow, you know, effeminate puff that has no gender whatsoever. He's kind of this asexual, like marshmallow person. Oh, you don't know his name. Cause he's just called the Sultan, the Sultan yeah, of swing. And, and uh, he doesn't even have a name. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm looking at this, uh, Frank Welker voice taboo, which is always fun to read when you have Frank Welker just doing animal voices. <laughs> right. It's like George Clooney doing like the dog in South Park. But Welker, you know, of course, you did, you know, Megatron Transformers or whatever, but most of his roles are just like, you know, like in animated movies making animal noises, like <laughs> and sometimes not even doing any actual voicing, like in, with words. So he's the master. I wish I could have got that job, man. That sounds like an awesome job. Yeah, you sit there going cool, 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 all day or whatever. Yeah, it's, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, a couple other things, too. There's there's a giveaway here about the Golden Bow that Aladdin is not just some street urchin that they kind of portray him to be, and that's because his outfit is purple, and everything in the uh, like the royal sort of guard and everything, they were purple, and this purple color would have been still at this point sort of a symbol of of royalty it would have been really hard to get dating all the way back to the the phoenicians and the greeks and the romans that made it illegal to even own the same color of purple as the royals but he, you notice in this movie aladdin does have purple and he technically his purple is slightly darker than the royal guard has so i don't know it might just be the color palette that disney decided to go with but there's other things in this movie that fit way too much into the pieces to be coincidences I had a few thoughts, um, especially when they try to drown Aladdin, and and just the basic look of Jafar. Houdini style. Well, actually, I was thinking more about Rasputin, which I guess would make a little more sense in a royal court. Uh, <laughs> how? Because Jafar does seem like the Rasputin, but then they try and give Aladdin the uh, the Rasputin death, which, like Rasputin, doesn't take the first thirteen times or so, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you kill someone that's truly magic? Um, I, I don't know how many people saw this, but uh, there was a History of the World Part 2 last year, a TV series, which uh, had a sequ- uh, several sketches. of like It was Jackass style, where they're trying to kill Rasputin. So that, with the Jackass music in the background and stuff, is is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, the best part of that whole series, if you've seen History of the World Part 1, it has the black Thing with the title card and Mel Brooks is the narrator, which is he yeah. still does this new one. That's the only thing I think he does in a new one. But uh, at one point, it just says Jesus Christ, and you just hear him, Jesus Christ in a Mel Brooks voice. And for me, that was the funniest part of the thing. But. Is the new one a movie or is it a series it's of a, shows? It's a series. I th- I'm almost positive I saw it, but it like it just kind of went in one and out the other. For I me. was just when my folks were visiting last week, we put that on because it's what's well, offensive, but it's just like it kind of rolls, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Mel Brooks offensive, which yeah, is, everyone knows what feels kind of, outdated offensive now. Yeah, it's like security blanket offensive or something. It's a, yeah, it's a little yeah, it's like, <laughs> like life alert offensive. Anyway, that that was way tangent. So uh, let's get back on your tracks. <laughs> Uh, oh, and, and I forgot to mention this one. The other favorite sidekick uh, from when I was a kid. I don't know if you ever saw the movie The Skateboard Kid, but he has a skateboard that comes alive and talks and flies. So I always thought that was really cool, although it was kind of terrifying looking. Oh, you know, I discounts the sidekick. Okay, here's what I wanted. I wanted that ship from Flight of the Navigator, which... Man, it was, oh, that movie was so boring. <laughs> I but when I was seven, I loved it, and I wanted the ship. Yeah, I don't or, know. I saw that movie when I was seven too, and I was bored to or, tears. Or I just explorers. remember like, where's the where's ET at, dude? Yeah, or explorers <laughs> where they build like their their garbage can ship. That's kind of cool. I wanted that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not quite a sidekick, I guess. That's a little. That's more of a an accessory. But uh, yeah, that, that that's what I wanted. <laughs> uh, so now yeah, I, but, I want but, a pet but, monkey now. I didn't want a pet monkey when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Now I want the monkey. <laughs> well, I had an uncle apparently that had one of those little grinder organ monkeys. I don't know if I brought that up before. Uh, and it, it did the thing that it, it bit people. So he had to stop bringing it out in public and then he kept it inside. And then it just started like furiously, you know, pleasuring itself all over the place inside. 
<laughs> and because it was extremely aggressive, like you couldn't like, good luck trying to stop uh, an angry monkey from doing that whenever he wants to, like <laughs> you don't get to control that part of it. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, yeah, like trying to put your cat into a, like a box to bring to a vet. Yeah. To be honest, I don't want pets at all, but if I had a pet, I <laughs> well, def- yeah, uh, you heard it here. Don't get an organ grinder monkey. <laughs> so, I don't even know if it's like a specific type or not, but, and, uh, so the magic rug, let's talk about the magic rug first, because even if we do have to cut short, I'd need to talk about Disney quest because Disney quest was within, you know, like that was where I went to lunch sometimes, uh, when I was working at Disney uh, we would go over there and, you know, hang out in what now I think is like Disney Springs and they knocked down Disney Quest and now it's like a NBA Hall of Fame, something. I think. <laughs> it's it's like, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff out there. But um it was the it was this very dated ride where you sat down on a little uh sort of like hydraulically uh controlled magic carpet and put on what looked like this huge you know, like first version of VR from the late nineties. Like we're talking like a huge thing strapped in and it, it looked very few, like lawnmower man esque, uh, you know, futuristic style. But, uh, and you mentioned what it gave you a headache, right? A lot of people got a headache from this <laughs> thing because just like the original VR headsets, it didn't necessarily have the greatest refresh rate. Um, and there's this, this weird concept of people consider VR sickness and getting your VR legs. And it's just that your body's not used to seeing movement, but not feeling movement. And that was basically what like 90% of this Aladdin VR ride was, is that like you're, you're moving around a little bit, but it's not like a hundred percent synchronized to what you're seeing. So your body feels something slightly different than what your eyes are reporting back that it should be feeling. And this makes a lot of people sick at first. Yeah. I mean, we, we went to Disney quest mostly for the, um, there is an insane psychedelic air hockey table and just a ton of vintage games you couldn't find anywhere else. That that was our our chief draw to go there, and it was 2010 or 2009, maybe. Yeah, so it's sort of right in the middle of its life. <laughs> Towards the end of its life, it really was this like relic of stepping back into the past, and not necessarily like an old arcade, although it, it took that role a little bit towards the end. Um, but it was also just like this was at one point the height of technology, right? But going back and seeing it in 2010 or a little bit after that, it was almost like, oh, isn't that funny what, you know, mom and dad thought was advanced. <laughs> um, or even going and thinking like, man, I can't remember this was advanced. Like when like an Atari game came out and you were like, man, it looks just like the Kool-Aid man. This is incredible. And you, uh, and you see it now and it's like, which one of those four black squares is his face again, you know? Yeah, they, they, it was supposed to, you know, be franchised in cities all over the place. It's like, oh, you don't have to go all the way yep. to Florida. No, they California. had one in Chicago. They had and one in a bunch of places. They were trying to make it like a little miniature, like a mini mall version of a theme park mm. where you could kind of like go there for just like a, like half the day or something. And pot, like an arcade meets this, but it would fit inside of like a mini mall type of area. But yeah, it didn't, didn't last forever. Of course, then there's um, Philadelphia where they... they build a giant hole and then just left it there. <laughs> it never built There's something thing. cult about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's also um, economic downturns, I guess, uh, for the company in particular. <laughs> um, Quick, build a big hole. <laughs> We're running out of money. Big a bigger one. And they had, uh, the, yeah, they had the, what was the name of the Space Mountain one where you would design your own coaster? That had some kind of insane name. Oh, well. oh yeah. Um, it was, oh, man. You're putting me on the spot here. It was like, it was like one, two, three, blast off or, or mission to Mars, maybe. Anyway, I, I remember that being fun. Oh, and uh, Buzz Lightyear's Astro Blaster, not Blasters. This is just a bumper car ride. I remember that. That, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, do the um, design your own rocket ship ride, whatever the heck it was called. That thing gave me a headache. But that was because it like bounced you around in that little freaking cubicle thing. It's your fault. You made it. Should have made it. So yeah, crazy. It, it was my fault. <laughs> I, I did make it. Because yeah. um, I was like, I want to. I want to see how extreme this thing can get. Well, guess what? It can give you a migraine. So that's how extreme it can get. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in in this movie, the genie gives rules that can't be broken. Apparently, but not so to this- Jafar, who who runs into more organically but he is talking right right yeah no no that's actually that's a, that's a very good point so so the genie mentions that his rules are one that he can't kill anybody 
two that he can't make anybody fall in love and three that he can't bring people back from the dead but he implies that the third one and therefore by proxy the the first two isn't because he's not able to but it's because he's unwilling to and he mentions that um when he brought people back from the dead it like it got creepier he didn't like <laughs> doing it so that made me think too are these his rules that apply to him too like he won't ever kill anyone and he won't ever make anyone fall in love or is it just that he won't let another person um you know wish for death or wish for love because immediately after this whole introduction he basically tells him like you have to make these wishes you're not allowed not to and he plops him on the magic carpet and he zips off but the way that he zips off it was almost threatening like i can kill you right now like if i threw you off of this carpet you would die so therefore you have to make these wishes or else dot 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 yeah maybe um i was thinking one of the rules is not that you you, you could wish for more wishes that that was not one of the rules that should be it rule. was not and and he missed out on a great loophole there <laughs> uh, I, I think since aladdin ever i think everyone noticed that with aladdin so they make sure to you know if you have genies and later things I, I, don't, that I, don't, up. I don't know what they did in the live action one because I didn't watch it, but <laughs> I do. I, I like the idea that maybe there's even like a credit system. It's like you can wish for more wishes, but you really have a finite amount of reality that you can change. So if, if one of your wishes is like, I wish I had a, you know, a cold drink in front of me and it pops up, that's way different than I wish, you know, like my face was on Mount Rushmore. Like maybe that one costs a little bit more. So you can have a hundred wishes. You can have a million wishes, but it better be a bunch of like, you know, <clears throat> I wish I could remember the name of that movie that's on the tip of my tongue. And there's just a genie that's like, you know, it was the Goodfellas. And you're like, oh yeah, that's right. It was the Goodfellas. Of course we got the, I do the Twilight Zone podcast. So I recently watched the Twilight Zone episode where the, the guy wishing himself into power at, it ends up, you know, in Hitler's bunker as Hitler. So it's <laughs> <laughs> a fun episode. <laughs> fun, that guy fun. was a genius. Yeah. Nothing, nothing but good things to say about that whole series. <laughs> do you get through those magic carpets? Um, let's see. Uh, oh, oh, and just and a tangent on that, the carpet ride and threatening, and just roller coasters in general, I just want to make the note in case it's not even abundantly obvious, but that the only reason roller coasters are fun is because you think you're going to die. Um, and you're basically having fun with the idea that you are great. Like your consciousness is smarter than your biology. So just like in that, the VR, you know, Disney questing where you get sick and your eye sees one thing and your body's feeling another one. Well, now here's a different version where your body is feeling one thing and it's telling everything else like you're going to die. What are you doing? You're about to die. Find <laughs> cover, you know, stop what you're doing. But you've got no control because you're usually like falling or getting whipped around. And you're strapped in and you're, you know, um, like kind of isolated and, and trapped in this little thing. And it's the same thing why people like to drive fast. The only reason that it's fun to drive fast is because your body's telling you you're about to die. And the, the ability to suppress that uh, for a while can be very, very sort of like energetic and you know it, it gives this like feeling of elation but it's also why it only lasts for certain bursts of time like i, I wonder how long your body can truly feel like it's about to die and it remain fun and there's like a reason why a lot of disney rides even the roller coaster ones like 90 seconds max a lot of the time sorry that's just made me think of the um ridiculous movie clifford where martin short's Clifford boy is yes, so annoying yeah. that um, um the skit with the uh, puts, Larry the scary Rex he's a scary dinosaur yeah, don't be he sure just, sharp sharp teeth or his mighty mighty roar three times yeah he just keeps keeps him on the ride and, but Clifford's such an idiot <laughs> he just loves it <laughs> I always want dude that's another I don't know if I want to say sidekick if Clifford I wanted him to be my sidekick but like no, I, I wanted to live in his shoes so bad like and I knew it wasn't a kid but you know <laughs> the, um I was just found out recently that uh, the movie Benjamin Button, of course, came out in 2008. But around that time, Martin Short was attached to a Benjamin Button project. So maybe Clifford was oh, what man. happened 
I mean, it's going to be like a comedy at that point in time, an 80s oh, comedy. Oh, I want to so. live in that reality. I want to get out of this reality and live in that. I don't care if the world ended like a year afterwards. Like, put me in that reality. You want know, Martin Short's Benjamin Button. So at that perfect moment where you get Brad Pitt in the 2008, you'd get, what, Jimmy Glick for the for the Martin Short version. Can I just say, there's another movie. There's a movie with Brad Pitt called Meet Joe Black. And there's this freaking scene where, Car at, crash. spoiler alert, you know, spoiler alert. <laughs> But uh, he's just like, it's like a normal movie and he's walking and all of a sudden a car just comes mm -hmm. by and just like pummels him. <laughs> and in that moment, I was so unexpecting it. I just burst out laughing and I don't know what that was. And actually, spe speaking of Robin Williams, remember the movie Insomniac where he plays like some creepy teacher or something and he like brings this girl back to his secluded house in Alaska. I'm getting some of these mixed up a little bit. But he, uh, as he's driving her back to his house, he looks at her and he like either tries to kiss her or he says that he wants it. Like he does something, make makes a move on her and she laughs at him and he gets so offended and like, like surprised by her laughing that he just punches her in the face and like knocks her out. And that I saw in the movie theater. And for whatever weird, very weird reason, I just burst out laughing and looked like an absolute maniac for laughing that, you know, Robin Williams just punched somebody in the face in a non funny movie. But Anyways, like <laughs> that that particular moment, it just like I don't know, it, it does something to me. Uh, the most I, I I know I mentioned on podcasts before. I don't know this one, but yeah, my we were having a family Sunday viewing of The Shining <laughs> when Scatman Brothers <laughs> takes it. My wife shrieks in terror, and my my daughter starts howling in laughter like simultaneously. So <laughs> we call it the Aristocats. <laughs> So yeah, that was kind of that. That was the most fun movie reaction I've seen. Of course, I'd seen it. I knew what's happening, but I, I got to get two completely different first time reactions. Um, I know, and, and I've got I've got one other final note here before I wrap mine up. Is okay. that uh, in the lyrics towards the end, the they say genuflect, show some respect, down on one knee, um, make a deal, third wish, set the genie free, and I. I can't hear the word genuflect without thinking about um, Tracy Twyman, who oh wrote my. the book Genuflect. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I haven't read that book. I do remember that story from, or that uh, debacle, or that tragedy from a few years ago, or whatever. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, there was one other one too. I just can't remember what the heck it was. I I even had screenshots of it, but there was. Um, it, it was, man, I'm gonna have to paraphrase it, but Aladdin says something about get in the square and like peel through the peer through the veil. And the way that he says it in the sequence, it's, it felt so Masonic about like step on the square and like take off your veil. But anyways, this is uh, kind of the, the, like, uh, Ashman had died by the time this was in production. I think he, I think three of his songs end up in here and the other four are Tim Rice, who's going to be the, the big lyricist from here on out. So um, I wonder if you were to separate the songs they wrote, you know, maybe you, you could see a little bit more relief and like what they were pushing forward. Cause we got two different people here, uh, you know, who might have things in it, trying to put little Easter eggs in of whatever kind. <laughs> and speaking of Easter eggs, this is the movie that that's supposed to have all good teenagers take off your clothes quote. Um, although it's, I think it's dubious. Like I want that to be the real story, but it, uh, I don't really think that that's what happened. It was like another story where he's talking to Rafir, um, or something. And it just kind of came out like that because of an overdubbing issue. I mean, that's the one thing doing this podcast like, yeah, in the Lion King, we're going to have where they supposedly kick sex in the air. We had the obvious fallacies in the little mermaid, but the more interesting thing is, wow, all of these recent movies we've done have the golden bow. That that's again, the big, that's the more, yeah, dude, and that <laughs> to me, that's way more fascinating. And, and the premise of beauty and the beast is way more damaging ever in a million years than a kid. Maybe seeing the letters S E X. Come on. Like he's going to see that word a million times in school, you know, on like the, the pages. So I don't know. It, that feels less threatening and the golden bow maybe more so japanese high school uh, high school elementary school boys will invariably decide the number six sounds like sex and then just start saying it a lot in class so <laughs> you know it's like hey, oh man i remember i remember like i don't know second grade maybe third grade and like 
finding the the S word in the dictionary and it was like the coolest thing ever, you know? <laughs> like, wow, this book has a bad word in it. <laughs> ah, pre-internet days. Um, I know we got to wrap this one up. So if you want to talk about your goings-ons of now. Yeah, actually right now, um, chaostwins.com is a comic series that I'm putting out with Sam Tripoli. Uh, it's already blown past all of its goals on Indiegogo. Uh, you can go to chaostwins.com and look at it. Even if you're listening to this in the far, far future, chaostwins.com should bring you to wherever you can get a copy of it. Um, and it's about Bigfoot and Mothman and cryptids and interdimensional reptilians and what we talk about on this show, which is weaponizing nostalgia. Uh, all that wrapped up in a family-friendly, kid-friendly comic book series, which might sound weird uh, <laughs> compared to anything else you've ever seen me put out. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a new avenue and it's doing really freaking well. So that's my biggest project right now, chaostwins.com. Okay. Uh, my podcasting world, I do a few others where we were um, kind of strike supporting uh, by doing some off the, the Hollywood stuff recently, but now it's kind of exciting that we get to get back to our normal things on Time Enough podcast of doing Twilight Zone episodes, uh, so dig that. There is Films and Filth, where we are looking at the top 100 and bottom 100 uh, films as rated by IMDb, which is going to put me in the weird position of, I think I'm going to end up, we're going to do our Toy Story episode, and I'll be doing that Toy Story episode at about the same <laughs> time. So. <laughs> but for different points of view so yeah maybe, maybe we should all just get together and do like a like a super show where we just mix both themes together uh i, I would almost say that but uh, my co-host has invited his girlfriend as the guest so i feel like i have to okay. <laughs> i'll invite mine too we'll just have a big party yeah, yeah sure <laughs> okay i'm gonna ride my magic carpet i wish i did there I, I want that more in the navigator ship now magic carpet yeah why not Kinda, I don't know. There's, there's yeah, you something fall off, I guess. If your heights, yeah. yeah. There's just something that's not very, I don't know. My, is this like my machismo speaking? But I don't know. I like, I need something cooler than a flying carpet. Well, you, you make it cool. You get a costume. You're like, yeah, you know, you, you make it cool. You put some cool drapes. How about on top. a flying tank? How about how about a flying tank? Okay, I'll, I'll go to work in my flying tank today and see what happens. <laughs> Do some donuts in the parking lot. <laughs> All right, Occult Disney, out.